And I think that that's the part that is um, sometimes difficult maybe for attorneys because we don't always see ourselves as our, like through the lens of what our clients are experiencing. Um, unless we go through a moment, unless we go through something that, that forces us to be in their position, it's difficult. I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters podcast. On Daily Matters, we talk with legal professionals, industry leaders, and subject matter experts about the future of law. We explore where the legal industry is headed, how legal practice is changing, and what you can be doing to position yourself for success. This episode of Daily Matters is brought to you by the 2020 Clio Cloud Conference, the world's best legal conference, which is going completely virtual for the first time in eight years. Get your pass now at cliocloudconference.com. Today's guest is Tammy Chiambade, a Houston-based small business attorney, the creator and producer of the Ask Tammy Live show, and the business law editor at Wealth Council LLC. Tammy, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, I'm so glad to be here with you all. This is great. Uh, we're <laughs> really excited to have you too. So starting off, Tammy, tell us how things are going right now in Houston between the pandemic, hurricane season and the BLM movement. What has this year looked like for you in Houston? This year has been interesting. I don't think any of us predicted the craziness that was about to ensue when we said Happy New Year's. Um, <laughs> <No>. And so, <laughs> you know, luckily I was able to, to get two trips out before um, I went to, I actually went to Puerto Rico um, in February. And then I went to the um, tech show in Chicago right before everything happened. Um, but out here, it's just, you know, I've been hunkering down, trying to make sure we social distance. I was, and I was at tech show as well, by the way. I, that was about the last in real life legal event I can uh, think of attending. I think everything shut down the week after we all got back. I think we got back and then it was like, whoa, or maybe a couple of weeks after. Um, and so I'm glad, you know, <laughs> I got that those in. Um, but it's just, it's definitely been, a, I think, an emotional roller coaster. I think for many in their businesses, it's been like, okay, a scramble, a scramble to figure out, okay, how do we navigate all of this? Um, and I also think it's been an opportunity, right? An opportunity for a lot of reflection, um, some forced reflection that some people didn't want. <laughs> some people, we had our plans and we're like, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to go. And then life, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, but I, I feel like I feel like in moments like this and in seasons like this, you get to discover how resilient you can be, right? And so um, this has been that an opportunity for all of us to see that. And, and we'll talk about what some of the, the opportunities that have cropped up uh, have, have looked like. But before we get there, I'd love for uh, the benefit of our listeners, if we could just get a, a bit of an overview of your trajectory. What's your career path been? It's, it's a bit of an unconventional one. Uh, walk us through what your career in law has looked like. Oh, it's been, it's been crazy. I'm going to take us even a step further, um, just right before law. So yeah. I, I graduated from the University of Georgia with a degree in English, and I took the, um, the LSAT, but I did not feel like I was ready to start law school. And I wanted to figure out how can I contribute um, in, how can I contribute to society, but like <laughs> also grow. And so I ended up uh, be, becoming a teacher through Teach for America. And so I had the opportunity to teach eighth graders for a couple of years right after undergrad. And it was actually through that process, I think, that kind of brought me back to law. Um, I 
through Teach for America, you're usually placed in a low-income neighborhood where you know you're seeing the achievement gap and the disparities that exist. And I remember a couple of specific instances with my eighth graders that just stuck out to me. Um, I love educators being a former educator. I think that they're miracle workers. But I found that oftentimes, I don't know if society really enables them to, to have the impact that they want. Because so many times, especially in these low-income neighborhoods, um, your students are faced with issues that creep into the classroom. You know, so for right. example, right now we're dealing with <laughs> a pandemic. So <laughs> education is going to be hard. It's going to be hard for the teachers. It's going to be hard for the students. Um, and in those instances, I had students who were dealing with poverty, dealing with housing issues, dealing with um, relatives that were incarcerated and all, you know, just the huge spectrum of things that can happen um, when we're not taking care of people's home lives. And I remember just wanting to address the system that impacted my students' lives. And so I think back to all my essays from when I was applying to law school and how that was like the drive to, to transition because I knew that there were teachers in there who would continue to make a difference. And I was like, where else can I kind of have that impact? And so I pivoted <laughs> and I went to law school. And while in law school, I tried different things. Um, I interned with a, a, the Harris County Public Defender's Office. I did some work in an immigration clinic. I did some trial advocacy. So I just, I touched on different things that I felt were pertinent to the uh, communities I was a part of. And when I graduated, I actually started off as a, working with a solo who was in immigration. Um, I wanted to do immigration kind of because I'm Nigerian American, <laughs> but I wasn't passionate about it. And so I discovered that I was actually pretty passionate about criminal defense. I had interned with their public defender's office. I got involved in a, with a program called Gideon's Promise. Um, and so that's a national public defender's office uh, or national public defender's program. And even though I was in private practice, I was able to kind of train with them. And it, that's what encouraged me to kind of go out on my own and you know, hang out my shingle and say, okay, let's just try this. So I started off in criminal defense and then I had all these people around me who are entrepreneurs and they kept asking me questions. And I'm like, I'm not a business lawyer. Stop asking me, <laughs> you know, stop asking me questions. But I realized, and this is something you often talk about is this, this um, access, right? This, this problem of access to services, that right. there's this gap of individuals who they, they don't, they, they have needs, but they can't find anyone who can fulfill those needs as attorneys. And so that kind of pivoted me again to like, okay, this is a really important issue how can I, how can I help these business owners? How can I help these entrepreneurs who are trying to build legacies, who are trying to, you know, gain economic freedom, you know, and, and just these different areas. And so I, for a while, I kind of toggled this practice with criminal defense and business and it was a marketing, <laughs> like, it was so challenging. Um, but then I, there was a couple of things and I, I, I I know I'm just rambling on, but the, the journey, like you said, it's unconventional. Um, but there was like some more instances that kind of moved me towards the business side. And I think one of them in particular is, uh, is significant today as we're looking at what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and just things that are going on in our society. And for me, one major pivot point was the killing of Philando Castillo. Um, I was, my practice at that point was primarily um, criminal law. I it was still doing the business law, but it was like, that was that, like I said, was my passion. And I remember the day that he was killed. I refused to watch the video. I've, I've, I've kind of stopped watching these videos um, because I have black men in my life and it, it's, you know, it's difficult. 
right. but I remember, I remember that day in particular, I called my younger brother on the phone, distraught, right, in tears because yet again, you know, another black man was killed in front of people who loved him. And after crying, after praying for him, after trying to, trying to figure out how to navigate this, I had to wipe my face and put on my makeup and go to court and act like everything's okay. And I remember going into the courtroom and looking around and having kind of a light bulb moment. And that moment for me was that our systems, our current systems are not built in a way, um, well, specifically when it comes to criminal law, I felt like criminal law was a poor man's game. And what I, what I mean is that it's a system built to penalize poor people. Right. <laughs> and it didn't show um, mercy to, to poor people. It, it, and, and with that particular killing, I remember we had been protesting, right? People had been taken to the streets and nothing changed. And for me, it felt like nothing changes until money talks, until, until money gets involved, unfortunately, right? And so for me, that was a moment where I said, I need to figure out ways to help um, empower my community from an economic standpoint. And it became more clear and it became easier to pivot towards how can I help people build businesses? So I say I help people establish their businesses, protect their names and keep their profits. And that's really my goal is to see, okay, people who are trying to change their stories, change their legacies, change this and speak and use their impact for good. And so right now I'm thinking about what happened, you know, yesterday with the NBA and with all the various professional teams. Honestly, it was great to see that stance, but we also know that they're, they, they were using their economic power. They were using their celebrity. They were using their platforms to make a difference. And so, sorry, I know I just rambled on. No, no, go. That. It's great. It's, it's great. Yeah. But so, so that takes us to, to the journey that, that has brought you to, to today, more or less. There, there's a, a few parts of that journey I'd love to, uh, to dig into. You're obviously somebody who's comfortable pushing yourself outside of your, your comfort zone, trying new things um, and, and putting yourself in a situation where you're gonna feel uh, some level of, of discomfort. Can you tell us how you, how you navigate that and, and how you maybe find the, the courage to put yourself in those situations and how you end up persevering through them? Yeah, um, it's funny because I don't think I was that way before. Um, <laughs> I, I think that it happened, well, I feel like I was placed in positions where I was uncomfortable and I learned to realize I can survive them. So I grew up in a community where there was, um, where we were a lot of, we were children of immigrants. It was a lot of, really diverse. It was Providence, Rhode Island. And surprisingly in my little city in Providence, um, there were people who were, you know, parents or children of Nigerians, children of Dominicans and Puerto Ricans and Guatemalans and Ghanaians and all these different cultures, you know, and people from Cambodia. And then when I started high school, I moved to a, a predominantly white neighborhood and, and I was like one of like very few um, black people in, 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 my, in my community. And I got quiet, like this personality that you see and that's talking, da, 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 it kind of just kind of disappeared for a while because I was uncomfortable. I was not in a space where I felt, you know, like I could be me. Right. And then, <laughs> then I went to college and it shifted. I got into community with, you know, some more people and, and I, I it was almost like an, another light bulb moment. Like, wait, the problem isn't me. And, and, and now I wonder if I can harness, if I can use my experience being uncomfortable or being someone who's, who's not necessarily fit in, like, how can I use that? 
how can that be translated? And so when I went to the University of Georgia, which is a predominantly white institution, I had a great time because I was like, listen, I've been the minority before, but then I was able to connect with black people. And I was like, I can connect with y'all. And I felt like I had the opportunity to, to, in some instances, bridge communities, or at least be a person who can say, I can extend my hand here, I can extend my hand here. And for individuals who might not have encountered a black woman before, right? And because of where they grew up, I can show them that, hey, maybe your perception of what a black woman is is not perfect, right? Like maybe I can, you know, break some of those stereotypes. Um, and then, you know, with my black friends and with the black community say, hey, let's, let's connect, let's mix, let's mingle um, and things like that. And so I think from that standpoint, from there, I started to kind of explore. And there's a part of me, I think that's a little bit of an explorer. One of my friends says I'm a risk taker and I'm, I'm not really a huge risk taker, but I think I'm an intellectual risk taker. I like to ask questions. I like to be inquisitive. I like, I, I like to ask, is this really how it's supposed to be? Is there a pattern that is, is showing up? Is there something here that can be questioned? And I began to do that in those circles. I began to do that with things that I've been taught. I began to do that. And over time you realize, okay, these things that we, because we don't know, we've created these barriers from, when we start like digging in, you discover that the mystery is not as scary as you think it is. And even for the things that are difficult, the way that the human spirit has been built, we have the power to kind of power through. And then on the other side of that, like that, that decision is if you, there is failure, because that's potential, right? If you do fail, there's at least a lesson there, right? There's still something valuable that can be gained by deciding to take those courageous and bold steps. And so I think that's kind of been my outlook and, and, you know, through my failures, which have been plenty through my successes, you know, which have also existed. Um, I've been able to have that, I think, truth kind of reaffirmed over and over again. So t tell me how maybe some of those learnings about, um, you know, maybe the, the courage to be yourself and your, the courage and your ability to create new connections has informed your, your journey into into legal and how how you approach working with other lawyers and and with your own clients. I I think it's really just being able to to step back and say, okay, this is what you're doing. Let's look at the outcome. And I think, okay, well, not a step back, but part of it is also a question. I think for me, what drives me is the question of alignment, right? And starting off and asking, okay, what's your end goal? One of the things that they taught me in Teach for America, when we we're talking about curriculum building, when we we're talking, talking about teaching students, was you always begin with the end in mind, right? And so you think about what is the long-term goal that you want? So as an attorney, what is, what's the type of lifestyle you're looking for? What type of impact do you want to leave? And when I'm working with businesses, what, you know, again, the same questions, what's the impact you want? What, what are you trying to do? Looking at it and saying, okay, what actions are you taking right now? Do those things align? And then also saying these other examples of people or businesses are achieving what you say you want. Let's look at their pattern. Let's look at their system. Let's look at what they have in place and let's look at what you have in place. Now you don't need to completely copy because hey, we all have our uniqueness, right? That helps us to bring that whatever that spark is to our callings, but there are lessons to learn. And if you're serious about the goal that you have stated, if you're serious about the outcome that you desire, you have to understand what steps might be necessary. 
because I'm of the frame of mind that anything is possible, but some of the things that people want, they're really, really, really difficult to achieve. And people have to kind of grapple with, if this is what I want and it's super, super difficult, am I willing to take the really difficult steps in order to, be, to do that? That might mean stepping out of your comfort zone. That might mean doing this thing that this person does that you're not really crazy about, but it works. If, again, your main goal is to reach that objective. And so I think that's how I kind of navigate that. And it translates into working with attorneys, right? Because we want to have impact. We want to be client-centered. We say, you know, these are the reasons why we went to law school. Um, and then, you know, when I'm working with businesses, it's the same thing. You're just looking at it. So I, I really try and bring that and ask those questions and remind my clients and say, hey, and, and it's okay. The thing is that we are not bound to have specific outcomes like everyone else. It's important to kind of check in with yourself and say, okay, what, you know, what direction do I want to go in? And if you don't want to go in the same direction as that other person, that's fine. But what direction do you want to go in? And are you willing to do the work that gets you there? You know, so that's kind of yeah. the way. <laughs> Love it. Work. So pivoting a bit, let's, let's talk about the work you do at uh, Wealth Council and, and the work you do as a, a practice success mentor where you help law firms learn how to be more successful. Uh, can, can you tell us what, what that looks like, how you work with law firms and, and maybe some of the, the patterns you see with, with law firms that you work with in terms of maybe a few takeaway tips that, that any firm could apply to leveling up their game a little bit? Absolutely, absolutely. And so particularly in this season, um, it's been great to kind of transition into this role during COVID because people are grappling with um, kind of attorneys in particular being forced to look at their industry and being forced to look at the way they've practiced law in a different, um, completely different realm. Um, with um, Wealth Council software, for example, they've always offered the desktop version and they've offered online. And, and many people have been forced to kind of pivot towards this online cloud-based soft, software. And many people were reluctant at first. Um, but it's just cool to kind of see them having to be courageous. And then the questions that people are coming up with right now is, okay, I'm used to doing so many things in person. I'm used to not using technology. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't done this. I have paper files, you know, how do I transition, right? How do I integrate technology into my firm? Um, how do I continue to build personal relationships through the media, <laughs> you know, through online, through Zoom. You know, before we would be able to sit in a room and talk with each other, you know, but right now we're having this conversation. You're in another country, I'm here, <laughs> you know, and, but people are trying to figure right. out how do we create those authentic bonds? Um, and some people, you know, it's really interesting watching people's various approaches. Um, some people just look at it like this is different, it's wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> Which obviously creates its own problems because, hey, this is what it is. Um, and then you have the other people who are a little bit timid, but they're like, I'll peek and I'll try. And then you have the people who are the ones who are, on, who are already doing these things, who are like, this is my arena. I've always embraced technology. I've, all, I've been operating on this. The transition isn't huge. Now I'm just thinking about, okay, how can I expand this? How can I continue to lead? And so, um, I think one of the biggest steps, and this is something we've talked about with, with the company uh, that has come up in our different department meetings and from our leadership, is like, how can we empower people to be confident? How can we empower people to have courage um, in these uncertain times? And I think really encouraging all of us to kind of remind ourselves that we're leaders, 
right, that lawyers and attorneys and legal professionals in this time and in this season provide people a lot of guidance and a lot of help when there's so much that is uncertain, you know? So that's, that's my one tidbit, be courageous. <laughs> and how do you help the firms you're working with take that, take that leap? It's, it's one thing to, to say, be courageous, but then a, a lot of people just have a hard time making that, that leap or figuring out how does that manifest in their business strategy or, or how does that show through in a really concrete way? Can you, can you talk about how you've seen some people actually make that leap and maybe get the conviction that's needed to make a, make a big change or make a, a leap that could end up being transformative to their, to their firm? Absolutely, absolutely. What I've found is when people are most afraid, it's usually because they don't understand or they don't know how. And so really, I think the process is to demystify the unknown. Um, what I found in some of the different programs that we've recently launched, like our EP Bootcamp and some of our webinars that we've done, um, what we've done is we've shown people real life examples. And then we've shown them this is how it's done. Um, and showing people just like you have taken these steps and they don't need to be hard. So for example, I've, I've kind of shared with them about how to like use video to kind of market. And I'll just show them like, these are the tools. In <laughs> one of my webinars, I'm like, look, this phone, this is what you can use to, to, to start marketing. And once they see that, oh, these are the steps, right? It's like, I actually can take those steps. They're not, they're not distant. They're not reserved for that person over there or that young person over there or that tech person over there. Like it's accessible to me. Right. Um, and I think that's the major, major, major thing. But then the, the challenge is how many people will come to the conversation, come to the table to see what they can do, right? <laughs> um, and, and, and in those instances, what I usually try to do is um, I try to, to, to the extent possible, I try and use stories um, and examples. And to me, you know, stories are data. This is proof that this is possible. If I tell you that this person did this and I show you that this person did that, you're getting the proof that you can't refute that this is how they did it. Um, and one other thing I know is sometimes people who are particularly reluctant to kind of modernizing their practices and figuring out ways to integrate automation and technology and things like that, is that they're often um, afraid again of this loss of the personal touch. So I really love to emphasize the responses that clients give to having these systems in place and, and experiencing, okay, let's say they are doing videos. I, I've had instances where people have come into my office and they're like, oh, I already know you. I feel like I know you because I've watched your videos on YouTube. <laughs> and, and seeing that I'm able to kind of break those gaps, you know, and bridge those gaps, I would say, in, in terms of like, okay, they feel like they know me, their, their, their um, walls are down. We can actually get into the nitty gritty. I can ask them those difficult questions because I'm already starting to establish that trust. Right. Um, and showing that, you know, and taking that and translating it. So that's kind of how we, I try to approach it. I love that. And maybe that's a great segue into talking a little bit about client service at your, your law firm as well and thinking about how you approach client service. Can, can you talk about how you think about client service and in particular how you're thinking about layering on other tools and technologies? Video is one of the, the tools you're, you're using to help create comfort in your clients. Um, what other tools and techniques are you using to, to really deliver a client experience that's, that's a step above? Well, I think the first thing is really listening to your client, right? And then implementing what you hear from them. And, and, and so what that means is, for example, if I have a client who comes into my office, 
I am trying, in addition to gathering the facts for whatever their situation is, I'm listening to the way they describe their problems. I'm listening to the way they're describing how they want their solutions to be. I'm listening to the things that they're not saying, but they're expressing. And I'm thinking, okay, so this person, for example, you can tell that they're really, they're really crunched for time. You know, if I'm working with a lot of the clients that I've worked with in the past have been people who are, uh, you know, who have their nine to fives, but they also have these passion projects and they have their side gigs and they have these other alternative streams of income. And they're trying to establish those because again, they're trying to change their economic source. So understanding those different dynamics, I'm thinking about, okay, this person values time. I understand that this person does not want this going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They're trying to figure out how can I streamline my processes? So I'm like, you know what I'll do? I'll make sure that my, my uh, you know, appointments <laughs> are something that they can control. You know, I'll send out a calendar link to them and they can choose and it can be automated. And so they don't have to worry about that because those things frustrate them, right? When they have questions that seem to come up, um, I'll, ooh, here's, a, here's one. So for example, we know that a lot of, um, people are reluctant to go to attorneys because they're worried about how expensive we are. And they're trying to understand those processes. And then some people, they have really, really basic questions and they're like, oh, I don't want to pay money just to ask a simple question. So what I did is I would take those questions that they've asked them. I'm like, oh, this question came up. I'm recording a video on it. And then as I see those patterns, I'm able to save someone time and money, right? Because a lot of times they might not be ready to come and see me and say, hey, watch this video. This will answer your question. And then I know for this level of service that they need, then it's, you know, then they're able to meet me when they really need me, <laughs> you know, and, and to respect that portion of the client's decision. You know, we can't, when, when, especially I think when working with entrepreneurs, we can't force them to, to value us at, <laughs> when they don't value us, right? We have to work with their, with, with their business cycle, with the way their systems are, with how they're growing, you know? And so I've tried to cater some of my services to that, the formation of my process, um, the design implementing technology through automation intake. So all those various things um, to kind yeah. of help streamline that process for them. Yeah, I'm hearing two things that resonate with me really strongly. One is just building those effortless experiences, trying to create yes. systems and processes that really eliminate all the friction for your clients as much as possible. And I also hear you talking about empathy, you know, really putting yourself in your client's shoes and trying to understand the, the broader context that they're, they're operating in and how you can best lean in and help them and help create impact for their firm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the interesting thing about that is I think one thing that helped me with that was my training with Gideon's Promise. Um, uh, it's, it was the, the organization was created by a man called Jonathan Rapping, and in our some of our um, role playing moments, right, in terms of trying to create that mindset where we're always client centered, there was one exercise where we partnered up with another attorney, another new attorney, and they had to tell our stories, um, and we had to tell their stories as though we were in court, right, oh, and so. Yeah. So, and it was usually, I think that this was years ago. I think that the story that we had to tell was like a, a like a really difficult moment. It wasn't all happy go lucky. It was right. like, what is the most challenging experience that you had? And when you're sitting in that seat and someone is telling your story, you recognize how, how your clients feel. Right. And it's so deeply impactful that you never, ever forget that whenever 
you never forget that moment of how you felt when somebody was telling your story and how accurate you wanted them to be and how much you wanted them to understand the depth of your feelings and how, how much you wanted them to communicate that to others and get you whatever that end result was, you know? And then you also remember how you felt as an advocate for that person because you recognize that they had just told you a story that was so difficult for them. Um, and I think that that's the part that is um, sometimes difficult maybe for attorneys because we don't always see ourselves as our, like through the lens of what our clients are experiencing. Um, unless we go through a moment, unless we go through something that, that forces us to be in their position, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, but I think that moment really, really helped me and kind of emphasize that, like, let's, you know, feel what someone else is feeling. Yeah. That's a really cool exercise. I haven't heard of that before, but just the idea of what are ways that you can, you can truly try to put yourself in your, your client's shoes and, and create emotions that, that are going to echo what they're feeling uh, and, yes. and building empathy through that kind of an exercise. Very, very cool. Um, Tammy, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, is, is there anything else you'd like to, to add to what we've, we've spoken about today? And uh, would also love to hear one takeaway from you you'd like our, our listeners to leave this episode with. Um, you know, this has just been great. I just want to encourage, I think, everyone during this moment. I know that it's really difficult, right? Especially, again, we're in the midst of COVID in Texas. We, some parts of Texas and Louisiana have probably been hit with a hurricane. And so there's just a lot of uncertainty um, that, that, that's there. And for some people, you might be hitting what you consider the lowest moment of your life. Um, but if you continue to know that, hey, even though this is the lowest, change is required. Things must always change. No matter how long you've been in this situation, it is not permanent. Time will move it forward. Um, I think that that can help someone and say, okay, COVID is not going to last forever. Like the season of lockdown is not going to be forever. This hurricane is not going to last forever. And then taking it a step further is asking yourself in this situation, is there something that I can take to redefine this, this weakness? So it reminds me of um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath. And in that book, he talks about how the things that seem to put David at a disadvantage actually could have empowered him. He was smaller, but because he was smaller, it goes into like this biblical story. And essentially, you know, we all talk about David and Goliath in business. So David was the small guy. Dave was the person, right. David was the person who had limited resources. He was the one who, you know, was rejected, all of these other things. But because of that, it forced him to hone in his skills, right? He was able to refine his skills. He was able to move nimbly. He was able to respond to craziness really quickly. There are a lot of small business owners that you can pivot faster than these big corporations can. You can make Absolutely. changes faster. You know, so if you discover, hey, I watched this webinar here on this platform or on Clio or from this person or that person, you can implement those changes faster than someone else. You have an opportunity there, despite the craziness, there are opportunities hidden in moments of darkness. And I encourage um, people to ask themselves, where are the opportunities hidden here? That's I all. think that's a, a, great, a great note to end on. And I, I agree 100%. There's obviously a, a ton of uncertainty and ton of anxiety out there, but there's also a lot of opportunity. I think permission um, from, from clients, permission from our coworkers to try new things and to do things in, in a, in a new way that is uh, in, in many ways uh, I think we'll find better than what we were doing before. Yes. So there, there is cause to, for, for optimism. I fully agree. Exactly. Well, Tammy, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed this conversation and uh, stay, stay safe down there. 
Will do. And thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, for supporting this podcast.